0: And it's uh, worth turning in your Bibles uh, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the NIV uh, for the purposes of this sermon, uh, a modern translation. Just as well, we're not going with an even more modern translation, the Aussie Bible, which you can uh, pick up in bookshops. I, I don't commend it to you highly. It's not a particularly brilliant read. But uh, if you're looking for a new Bible, the Aussie Bible, uh, well worth a look. Uh, but for today, we are in the NIV on page 1153, the Church Bibles, page 1153. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from the Psalms you created my inmost being I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made you watched me as I was being formed bit by bit how I was sculpted from nothing into something when I was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalmist speaks of the human body in all of its complexity. It is a beautiful and purposeful thing to behold. How wonderful indeed are his works, too wonderful for us to take in. What a creation the human body is, fearfully and wonderfully made so very beautiful and purposeful. And yet today I want to show you a body with even more beauty and purpose than the body you're in right now, of even greater wonder than any human body here, the body that you together are a part of, the body that was knitted together by the very Spirit of God, Christ's body, this church. Now we're in a section of 1 Corinthians where Paul, as we saw last week, is beginning to respond to questions regarding the work of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, as you see in verse 1 of chapter 12. And if you remember last week as he began to respond to their question of what makes, uh, what are the true marks of spirituality, either in a person or a church, he, he said his uh, big reality really for us in verse 3, where he stripped back Christian spirituality from all the scaffolding we put around it to show us the Spirit's great work there in verse 3. Do you remember it? The Spirit's great purpose is to deepen and widen within us the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. That is his single-minded ambition. That's his purpose in your life and in the life of this church. His goal is that for us, each of us and together, Jesus be our all in all. Earlier in the letter, Paul has described the Spirit of God as an explorer, a pioneer in chapter 2. A pioneer who in your life is claiming new territory day by day for the King, King Jesus. Wanting to claim all your thoughts and habits, your relationships, absolutely everything such that it be under his good rule. Such that you can, as we saw at the end of chapter 10, increasingly live a life that glorifies him in every aspect. A life that confesses Jesus Christ is my Lord. And so how does he do this remarkable work in us and us together? He does it as he has always worked. He creates. Out of formless and empty, useless parts, he builds with wisdom and art and pleasure and decisiveness a body, just of his making, just of his determining, out of useless parts. That's us. There was a a shop in uh, Sydney near where I was at Bible College called Reverse Garbage. And uh, the nature of this shop was that uh, any industry or even just homes who had sort of offcuts of various things they'd been doing, things that were useless to them, they'd just throw them in the direction of this shop. And then people would come in and they'd see this collection of useless things, but to them they saw, if I get that and that and that and I put them together, uh, they built things of wonder, especially uh, movie sets and things like that would go to this place, reverse garbage, to create movie sets, amazing things. Well, God is the ultimate uh, recycler He's recycled you and me. That's the Spirit's work. He is creating a body out of these parts, the church. Have a look at verse 12. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts and all of its parts are many, they form one body. Reverse garbage, that's what we are. Those who, if you saw back in verse 2, were led away to worship mute idols, idols that can't speak. Idols that can't save us, now we are transformed. The moment we confess Jesus is Lord, we were formed into a community, into a body that's being created just as God created your own body, fearfully and wonderfully through his spirit. But this is even more radical than the creation of your body. Do you see it there in verse 13? It took a baptism to bring this about. And we're not talking about the sort of baptism we do from time to time at the front with either a little bit of water or with the giant pool from time to time. We're we're talking about what that points to. You see, real baptism, Christian baptism, involves death. To confess Jesus is Lord is to die to your old life, a life of independence, a life where you were king, a life of self-interest. As you confess he is Lord, you die to that life and are raised to a new life. Jesus is now king. A life not marked by self-focus but concern, deep, genuine concern for others. So much so that as you view those around you this morning, as you look around even now just this morning, you are viewing people who are part of your body, which is the body of your king, Jesus. And so verse 13, in this body I, I no longer view myself or understand myself by old social markers, nationality or social status or even my family. I am who I am now in relationship to this people. I wonder, is that how you describe yourself? If someone was to ask you who you are, what's the knee-jerk reaction? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I am... uh, Do you describe yourself as part of this body? I am part of the body of Christ. Having formed us into a body, wonderfully, he then gives this body, each of us, gifts that will enable each of us as parts of the body to achieve the very goal of the Spirit you remember what that goal was? The deepening and widening of the knowledge that Jesus is Lord amongst us. You see this uh, gifting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. This is how God in his wisdom by his spirit is building his body. These verses, verses 4 to 7 if you like, are like a super up-close shot of the body of Christ. A body made up of all sorts of different kinds of gifts. Look around you this morning I think of those who were gathered in the seats that you're sitting in right now earlier this morning. I think of uh, just earlier this morning in one of the rooms upstairs the musicians that were playing for us leading us to praise God were practising, preparing to lead us in that. I think of those who right now are in the early learning centre leading the seekers group, those in the coffee bar with Pathfinders, up in the hall with Sunday AM or Those who were already, before you came to church, were preparing to pick people up to arrive at the 11am who couldn't get there themselves. I think of the myriad of parts that make up this body, such wonderful diversity and the Spirit would have have it no other way. All this diversity means this wonderful truth you see in verse 5. This body is able to serve the Lord in so many different ways. Our worship is so much more wonderful together than it would be apart. I can't do most of what's going on here this morning, let alone what will go on throughout the week, and nor can you. But God's wisdom showers on his body different gifts for each one, verse 7 says, so that the body is beautiful and purposeful in its ambition to serve him. And what's wonderful about the gifts that we serve him with is that none of us have brought them to the table. It's, it's a bit like a dad on Father's Day who has to go out and buy his own gifts to give his children to then give him. I'm not speaking from experience. But But the wonderful thing about our Heavenly Father is as he gives these gifts, he delights to see then his children in action as they prepare the gift and then they serve him with the gift. And what pleasure our God gets even now as we sit here serving him with the gifts that we have been given. Now Paul makes that even clearer for us in verse 6. He says, and let me translate it a little differently for you, there are different kinds of energies but the same God energises them all. You see, as we zoom in on the body of Christ here, we're, we're not seeing a still-life picture, a sort of a statue. This is a body in full flight. Verse 6 is, if you like, one of those ultra-slow-motion videos you now see in sports coverage. You'll see it in Wimbledon in the next few weeks as uh, Roger Federer plays an incredible forehand. Uh, they'll, they'll slow it down and you'll see every muscle and sinew and joint, every part of his body in motion bringing about the desired result, the destruction of Rafael Nadal or whatever it might be amazing viewing that's what the body of Christ looks like to our God we might not see that because we're just a one part in the body we're busily straining our muscles to do the very thing that he's called us to do but as he looks at it the God's eye view is a body made up of people that have been led to declare by the spirit that Jesus is Lord each serving the Lord in a diversity of ways and each energized by the same spirit to move in one direction and remember what that direction is, his great work. Well, verse 6 hints at it at the end. Uh, the translation should be he is working towards Jesus being all in all. That's his goal because that's the direction of all history. If you flick forward in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28, you'll see where all of history is heading. Uh, the, the telos of all history is the day uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight says that God, the creator, the Lord of everything will eventually be all in all. He is the one behind every gift we have as a church. Every energy is marshaled to lead us to the point where he will be all in all. The Spirit is in on that great plan and he is using us to bring us about. Now what I want to do for a few minutes is to see together what that activity of the Spirit looked like in Corinth. Because in chapter 12 here we have some of the gifts that the Spirit gave the church in Corinth to achieve that goal. You see them there in verses 8 to 10 and then there's another list in verse 28. Two lists. Now, it's important to note that neither of these lists, either separately or together, are exhaustive. It's not like Paul says, let me list here all the gifts that the Spirit has given the church. Now, they're here by way of example. There are other lists he gives in others, other letters that he's written in the Scriptures, each of them to show us some of the ways the Spirit is achieving his great cause. But what becomes apparent as you look at these two lists in our chapter and the other lists as well is that the Spirit doesn't always work in a uniform way across different churches and times he has one goal yes but in his wisdom he knows just what to give in each place and each time to achieve that so let's see how that worked out in corinth and we're going to start with the second list in verse 28 and we're starting there because while you can see across the testimony of the new testament that the spirit's work is incredibly diverse there is a discernible pattern there are some things that he gives the body as of first importance in verse 28 we see that listed there in the church God has appointed first of all apostles second prophets third teachers it's a priority list echoed uh, earlier in this letter in chapter 3 and again in Ephesians 4 amongst the gifts the spirit gives each church in time some things are of first importance and it's worth asking why only these first three gifts are are, are numbered only they are given numbers. All the other gifts are listed in verse 28 and in verses 8 to 10 are not numbered and in a different lists they're in different orders. But first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, why these three? Why is it of such great importance? What do these three gifts have in common that would cause the spirit to give the body these first? Well, have a look back at chapter 12, verse 2 and I think there you'll see why. There we saw in verse 2 the effect not of the spirit of God but the spirit of this world on us. That spirit led us to worship mute idols, idols that can't speak, that can't answer us when we cry for help. But in comparison, and there is no comparison, but in comparison the true God, the living God, speaks. And he listens, he answers our cry for help. Only he can do that. Do you see what the spirit is doing? His ambition is to bring to us a deepening and widening reality that Jesus is Lord, the Lord to be trusted by us, not these idols, to be loved, to be delighted in. He is our security, not these idols. He is our all in all. His ambition is to call us away from those idols to the God who speaks and listens. And how does he do it? How would he do such a thing? He does what no idol could ever do. He speaks. Through speaking gifts he gives his church, he gives people who will at last speak the wonderful and gracious truth that Jesus is Lord. And this is how he builds his body, with the word of his spirit. And so verse 28, he first of all gives apostles, eyewitnesses to the risen Lord, people like Paul, commissioned by Jesus himself to go to the ends of the earth with the news he is king. Paul, as we saw back in chapter 9, was the gift of from the Spirit to the Corinthians. He was their apostle, their gift and it was the Spirit given word of the apostles that founded the body of Christ in Corinth as it founded it everywhere. It's the very same gift that founded the body of Christ here. We are founded on the apostolic gospel, that gift. And second and third, the Spirit gives two complementary speaking gifts. Uh, Once that the apostolic gospel has established the church that these other gifts come in to continue the work of building the body of christ by prophecy and teaching what great gifts these are for the church the gift of teaching the gift where the teacher is expected to pass on the same christian truth regardless of context teaching that all the church needs to hear in whatever time and whatever place It's a a gift that was given to the Corinthian church as it has been given to our church. What a gift the teaching elders of this church are to teach the whole counsel of God. Uh, Acts tells us, teach that so that we may be built up in the word of grace. And what a gift uh, Ben Cooper who has been leading our services, who teaches people who will teach others. That's a gift from the Spirit. And what a gift those who uh, teach in our kids' church are they're called kids' church teachers for a reason. They're no mere child-minders. Those who are passing on the precious doctrines of God to the youngest in our community. Doctrines that can make the children wise for salvation. What a gift. And then you have the gift of prophecy. And this gift is going to be one of the key focus points in uh, when we reach chapter 14. So we will explore it in depth there. But for now, let me say this of the gift. The gift of prophecy is the gift of being able to take that same once and for all message of the apostolic gospel and speak it into people's lives. The great reformer Calvin puts the difference between teaching and prophecy this way. He says, prophecy was not just to understand the scriptures and communicate that, but to be able to see how it meets the needs of the hour in the body, whatever those needs might be. It's the gift of being able to bring the word of God to bed or a particular situation in the church family's life. What a gift. And when we get to chapter 14, we're going to be told we must encourage that gift in our church as one of the formative speaking gifts. It's a gift that I have seen at work in our church, whether it be in our small groups, as that gift of prophecy is used. I've seen it in parish council meetings, in staff meetings, I've seen it in homes, I've seen it in the Oasis group, uh, the bereavement group we have here. The word of God being brought to bear on particular situations. Now beyond these foundational gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, Paul now lists a a series of gifts that the spirit may give a church for the common good. We're told he sometimes gives gifts of miracles and healings. The Spirit in His wisdom may cause some in the body to be recipients or even channels of miracles and healings, hints of God's new creation breaking into the old, foretastes of what is yet to come when Christ will be all in all, when we will see His face. Now it's over these sort of dramatic gifts, healings and miracles, that much debate and much heat has developed in the church and in the church across the world. How are we meant to view such gifts, such dramatic, exciting gifts Are we to expect them now? Should we expect them this morning? Whatever you experience uh, of these gifts or whatever your lack of experience of such gifts, let me encourage you, it's important not to make our own experience the norm with this. Given that, as we've seen before, the diverse way the Spirit can choose to work, uh, He is not, when it comes to these gifts, a circus performer. He will do these things if and only if it is what He, in His wisdom, not ours, decides we'll declare most clearly that Jesus is Lord. All throughout the book of Acts, we see that Paul himself exercised the gift of healing. But there's no indication that it was a norm in his life or to be expected. On many occasions, the opposite occurred. The Spirit did not exercise healing. We we read in Philippians 2 of Epaphroditus, who remained ill on on the point of death. And even Paul himself, who had a thorn in his own flesh and regularly prayed that it would be removed. It was not removed. For the very purpose, he says, because Christ was exalted by that thorn being there. In fact, the pattern of the Spirit's work all throughout the book of Acts is such that it seems that these gifts were most often manifest when the gospel was breaking into new territories, new people groups. It wasn't the norm. But in those situations, such a gift was a decisive declaration that in this new place, Jesus was Lord, not the idol that held sway there. So it may be for us here in the UK that we should not expect such things. It's perfectly valid to pray for them and I will continue to do so. But knowing God will wisely choose to act in whatever way will declare most clearly that Jesus is King. And it may be that here in this church, at this time, the Spirit of God will use other gifts to achieve that goal, other gifts like the ones listed for us here in verse 28, like helping. Hardly seems uh, exciting, does it, in comparison to uh, miracles and healing, helping others. And yet in God's estimation, it is just as powerful a gift to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A gift that demonstrates the Spirit's power to transform a person from self-absorption to utterly genuine, other-person-centred love. Amazing gift. It's a gift that God is using in this church to build us up. Those who help on the soup run. Are those who help at the Pregnancy Crisis Center, and in many of our small groups, just this week I was talking to a lady who is about to undergo surgery, who says she has never experienced such practical help as she has in this last week from her church family. What a gift! Or well, the gift of ministration. This does include the very gifted staff in our work who work in our office, but it also has a more specific a more specific group in mind. The Greek word uh, means helmsman or helmswoman, those who are gifted with steering the course of this body. It's a gift that uh, those who serve on parish council need. Pray for them, pray that they have this gift. And then finally, we have in both of the lists the gift of tongues, the ability to speak in unlearned human and, and possibly angelic languages or the ability to translate them. Now, the Corinthians, for them, this was the one they were obsessed by. This is their number one gift. This is their marker that they want to pull to echo back to them. Yes, if you have tongues, you are spiritual. Now, as we see, as we'll see in chapter 14, if if you are obsessed with this gift, as the Corinthians were, I have bad news for you. Uh, The first is that we won't look at it today. We'll look at it in chapter 14. The second is this. It's worth noting what Paul does with his list. Did you see it there? He has lists of gifts, and the the order changes in different letters. But in each of these lists, you see it there in chapter 12, the very last gift mentioned is tongues. Oh, and by the way, there's tongues. It's a hint of what's to come in chapter 14. It's a poke in the eye for the Corinthians who put this gift at the top. He keeps putting it at the bottom. And what makes their obsession with this gift so wrong, as we'll see in chapter 14, is of, of all the gifts that God gives his body, this is the one perhaps least designed to serve the common good. Now, this is the one that chapter 14 will say is one that I speak to God, not to the church. And so easily it can be become self-serving and nothing more. Now, that was the problem for the Corinthians. The Corinthians had reached a place as a church where the spirit of self-promotion held sway. They had become obsessed with gifts, not the giver. With kudos that they may receive from their gifts, not the community. With their own advancement rather than the advancement of Jesus as Lord in their midst. And how easily this self-promoting spirit can affect the way we view the functioning of the body of Christ. Influencing how we view the spirit's arrangement, perhaps, of the body here that we're a part of. Can distort the way we view even our own role in it can lead us to think that perhaps our part in the body is unneeded or unnecessary. You ever felt that in this place? Your role here, your part in the body? As you look around and see how the Spirit is working in those around you, the gifts He's given them, the part they play, and you you look at the gift in your hand and you think, what am I meant to do with this? You ever felt that? Paul paints a picture of that feeling here in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I mean hands are impressive, but if I'm a foot, well then I don't belong here. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong. This church doesn't need me, I'm just a kid's helper. Anyone can cut out uh, little pieces of paper for craft. The church doesn't need me, I just fold the service sheets, hardly crucial stuff. And this church doesn't need me, I just go to macro for the gig tuck shop. I just arrange the flowers. And Paul says, if your part, your gift, your spirit-given energy were not at work in this body, the body would not be functioning as he has chosen for it to function. To say, let's pull my part of the body out is to doubt the wonderful truth you see there in verse 18 that tells us that God has very carefully and very deliberately arranged his body as he chooses. It's why he's placed you here, so serve with all his energy. And if you're not sure what gifts you have to serve or how to serve, let me give you two suggestions. Firstly, if you see a need, go for it. Serve. And if you're still not sure, come and chat. I'd love to chat to you about the gifts God has given you and how you might serve. And let me promise you, the outcome of that conversation will not be this. Yes, well, you're right, it turns out you are surplus to requirements. The Spirit of God is not in the business of spare parts. And secondly, it may lead to the opposite. It may lead to us thinking that our part in the body, well, it's independent and pretty good. What would the church do without me? Ever felt that? Perhaps not out loud. But how easy it is to think of ourselves as essential to the body, perhaps more essential than others. And maybe they could, we could do without them, but look at me. The whole thing would fall apart if I was pulled out. Now we only think that way if we fail to be concerned about how others are serving. We're just so busy with our own area of service we think the whole thing would fall apart without us. We become convinced that my contribution is sufficient, others aren't needed. But God hates such self-absorbed attitudes. In fact, he has arranged his body to work completely against us if we think that way. In verses 22 to 24 we see how he has done exactly the opposite. The wisdom of God flies straight in the face of the wisdom of our world. The body he has shaped is shaped after his son, Christ, Christ crucified. Everything is upside down and it's wonderful. Just as we come to a close, let me uh, read uh, one commentator's take on those verses 22 to 24. The persons with deceptively ordinary and unprestigious gifts are as necessary for the proper functioning of the body as those who put on a more glittery display. All are of equal value. But if there is to be an overcompensation, it is to be for the less favoured. The church is not to be like the surrounding society, which always honours those who are already honoured. It is to be countercultural and bestow the greatest honour on those who seem negligible. That's God's wisdom. And if we are to follow that wisdom, we will have to start to turn things upside down a bit, won't we? And so in closing, let me encourage you to do two things in this next week and this next year with the different parts of our church family. Firstly, be more concerned about the seemingly small and ordinary gifts that work in our church. Open your eyes, look for those. In whatever ministry that you're a part of or you experience in this church, look around, see the many wonderful things God is doing by His Spirit, even in the small details, look for that. Look to give special honour there because that's where God places such honour. And secondly, and lastly, the flip side of that, let us be a whole lot less concerned about showing honour to the upfront parts of the body. You won't need to look out for them or notice them or honour them. They'll get that. Don't focus your concern there, says Paul. They don't need it. Pray for them rather than give them special honour. Pray that God keeps them humble now as someone with an upfront gift in this church body who because of that receives a regular honour, perhaps more in a month than some would receive here in a decade and plenty of flack too, God says don't worry too much about honouring Andrew. He doesn't need that. That's not the way I've arranged things. Pray for him, yes, but work in harmony with God's countercultural pattern, honouring the least honoured, And not in some sort of man-centred way, but encouraging that they too are part of this glorious work of having Jesus exalted here. And I'll leave you with this. If God has arranged his earthly body this way, don't be surprised that this is how it will be in heaven as well. I suspect when heaven comes down and we are with our king, our head, there will be a great reversal. That those barely recognised by us as we viewed his body, this church, through our old earthly eyes viewing them as insignificant backstage players. As that great stage of heaven opens up and our humble crucified king takes his throne, the one who on earth we esteem not, as he is exalted, don't be surprised that the ones who step forward ahead of us are the ones we did not honour. But now he will with special honour and that honour will be better by far than any they would have received here. Well, let's pray.